Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Baseball buffoons blow it big time. On Tuesday, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced the cancellation of the first week of regular season games and disappointed I think that word sums up how baseball's diehard fans are feeling right now. And as for the players and how they feel, well, some of them took to Twitter. Former Met Marcus Stroman went full savage in this tweet, blasting Manfred, calling him a puppet to the owners and letting fans know that players are ready and anxious to compete. Anthony Rizzo let his thoughts be known to the fans. We miss you most to the younger generation of baseball players. This is for you. And as for former Yankee Clint Frazier, well, he may just take up a new profession. I think it might be time to apply for that McDonald's job everyone said I'd be working. And Jock Peterson has some ideas for this season. Play 162 games, seven innings each, and everyone gets a participation trophy. Obviously, he's kidding about the participation trophy. And then they do hand them out. Everyone but the owner should get one. But baseball fans, I'm talking to you guys. What are your thoughts about the entire labor dispute, and is there hope for baseball? It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 6th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and either show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in our good friends over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network. And you can check out the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Well, what are we? Day 95 of the lockout. And as I come to you here on this late Sunday night, nothing really new to report other than the fact that, for lack of a better word, there is very little progress. If you want to talk about the Major League Baseball Players Association, the owners right now, one is in one camp and is not willing to move, and the other is in the other camp and not willing to move. And I think... For the first time since this all started December 2nd, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and I tweeted about this over at Mike Silver Media during the season, I'm not sure we're going to have a baseball season. And I know you're going to say, Mike, it's, it's, March, it's March 6th. How can you have that? How can you say that? And I'm going to bring him back from two weeks ago, our good friend Joe Casal. He's consulted the Players Association, former agent, had his own agency, knows this stuff inside and out, really is clued in into the resolve of the players. I'll tell you what, forget about the mainstream media. Uh, Maybe you have a few guys like an Andy Martino who always seems to give you a very balanced, sourced view about things. But for the most part, you've got a lot of people carrying the water for either the Players Association or the owners, mainly the owners. And a lot of times, remember... When you need to get a press pass, when you need to get access, yeah, you could go through agents and go to players, but you need to go through the teams, and the teams are controlled by owners. So if you're reporting on this whole situation, you got to be real careful about how you report and how you paint the owners. Because right now, there's no doubt in my mind that the owners are trying to crush the union. At least there is a portion of the owners. We know four. We know four of them. Mike Illich of Detroit. The Cincinnati owner, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Audie Moreno. We know those four, and if that obviously, if the deal was any richer than the last time, the last negotiation uh, that came about before today on Monday, there may be more. Why do I think there's not going to be any baseball? Because I think that there's a big enough contingent of owners that want to crush the union, and I don't think it's just those four guys. And I think back, and I was wondering. Does this smell or feel like the NHL lockout in 2004? Now, it's not exactly apples to apples because there was a whole salary cap involved. But think about it. They were fighting about revenues. They were fighting about a salary cap. And maybe the league is not trying to impose a salary cap on the players. But by having these punitive CBT tax thresholds on team spending, they essentially are. And they're trying to shave them a little bit at the bottom with the minimum salary and Obviously, trying not to put as much money into this pool that they want to put out there for players who are less than, you know, three years of service before they get to arbitration. So maybe they can make a little bit more than the minimum when they're stars right off the bat. And we all know what happened in 2004. The season was canceled. Now, the NHL, from what I talked to some people, they were in a there were teams that were legitimately having financial hardships and may have gone bankrupt. And it's a niche sport, and it's a totally different situation. But at the crux of what they were fighting about, which was sharing the revenue appropriately for what the players felt was their fair share and not limiting salary, it's the same thing. 
And I really didn't think back in December when I thought this thing started that the players, I thought they had resolve, but I did not think they had enough resolve to lose games. And it's very clear to me, especially more so, after Joe came on a couple of weeks ago and he'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and after listening to the players, listening to Max Scherzer, listening to Andrew Miller, it's very clear after Monday that they're not willing to budge, especially on an important issue like the CBT. The competitive balance tax is where this is at. All the other stuff, playoff teams and bigger bases and pitch clock and rules changes, and I'm sure they could bridge the gap on the minimum salary. Geez, I think, what are they, $50,000 apart? It's like $10 in baseball world. The pre-arb pool, I got to think they could find some kind of way there. It's all about that competitive balance tax. Now, look, for us here in New York as Mets fans on a Mets show, we want that to be as high as possible and for the punitive damages just to be as low as possible. But in reality, there's a good number of owners and teams that feel that they can't compete in the league where that's the case. And I think they saw how Steinbrenner start to play a little ball on that and, and maybe the Boston Red Sox, but teams like the Dodgers and specifically Steve Cohen are not. So that scares the you-know-what out of them. But now that I see the players dug in, and, and when you hear reports that four owners didn't even vote for the agreement that they put forth to the players on Monday with a CBT of 220 which is still $18 million off from where the players want, and it sounds like there's no way that they could get a deal even brought to the table that would pass the 23 of the 30 owners if it got any higher. And the players are stuck on that 238, and, and who knows how much they'd be willing to come down, even with maybe less punitive measures or tax put against it. I got to think we're in for a long haul. We've lost April baseball. There will be no April baseball in 2022. The earliest this season will start is May 1st. And that's if we see progress in the next 7 to 10 days. And after what you heard today, and again, I come to you at 7 o'clock here on a Sunday, so who knows what's going to change by the time you download this and listen to this. Maybe something could change. But boy, it sure looks like the players know where they want to be. They know that there's a, a big contingent of union busters. They know if they sign a CBT, uh, a collective bargaining agreement, a CBA, that is, you know, let's say a five-year CBA, and they give up on this, it's only going to get harder in the future. This is kind of their Waterloo. And they're being led by a guy that's new to Mets fans, but Max Scherzer, who has been described as a really tough negotiator and a guy that's willing to get into their face. And all the things you're seeing about him in the boardroom here you can't wait to see what he could bring to this club when they finally get back out on the field. But I really think we could lose a season. And what does that mean? Well, it means nothing good. It means you lose a generation of fans that you have to win back. It means that next year you'd have to have a season of the ages. Remember when I remember when the strike came about. Here in New York, we had so much going on. You know, the Rangers had just won the Stanley Cup. The Knicks were in the midst of their run. You still had NFL football. It wasn't like, and the Mets weren't very good. I know the Yankees, obviously Yankee fans were disappointed because their team was in first place and had one of the best records in baseball. But then it came back, and even before Sosa, McGuire, and all that stuff, you had that great Seattle Yankees series that kind of, at least here locally, got 
I know I fell back in love with baseball just watching that series. And then the next year, the Mets had Generation K. And then two years later, you had interleague play this new thing, and the Mets and the Yankees playing. And then all of a sudden, it was the start of the golden age of the Subway Series and Piazza and Bobby V and, and that era of Mets baseball. So at least here in New York, I could speak from a New York perspective, there was reasons to move away from the strike and move away from it pretty quickly. But that's not Pittsburgh. That's not Cincinnati. That's not Kansas City. That's not Milwaukee. Especially towns, like I've said, that baseball's not the number one sport. NFL probably is. High school sports maybe. So this is really dangerous zone for the owners. And if they're not recognizing the players are prepared to lose and lose big in terms of their salaries in the short term to win long term, then they're not reading the table. And I fear that we're in for a real rocky road. And I fear that we're seeing history right before us with this sport. I mean, even with the playoff situation, think about this. I'll even say this from the player's side. Let them have their 14-team playoff. Why can't baseball ever get anything right? Here's the 14-team playoff. You have six division winners, and then you do a wild card play-in week. Reduce the schedule to 154 games. Figure out how you're going to compensate the players for that lost revenue. I mean, you just prorate their salaries over 154. I mean, to me, I know the owners aren't going to want to do that. They're going to cut it back. But if you're making all that money in the postseason, if that's what this is all about, you want to have 14 teams, you want to have nearly half the league make the playoffs, fine. Instead of that dopey last week of the season where here you are as a Mets fan hoping that the Nats who are tanking are going to beat the Braves so you can make the wild card or whatever, you have them play each other for a week. Maybe you have a, a sudden death game and then you have a three-game series. One the team with the better record plays them all at home. And then you go in into the NLDS. Think about all the pitching you would burn just to get through that series. So you're not going to be at advantage when you start playing the division winner. Let the division winners ramp up. Get ready. Take a breather after a long season. That's it. See, to me, that's common sense. Maybe they should hire me as the director of common sense. But I will tell you this, and I'll get to Joe Casal because I want to hear from an expert, someone who really knows and what his vibe is. You have these hardline owners, one of them being Audie Moreno, a phony, who just gave a guy who pitched one inning in two years a big contract. Really basically saying we're not going to budge. And it sounds like there's more if you get any richer in terms of giving the players more in terms of the competitive balance tax, which is a de facto salary cap, unless you want to burn money on taxation, which is what Steve Cohen's going to do this year, which ultimately won't be every year because you, you want to build up your farm system. You want to be able to fill your roster with cost-affordable players. But if, but if those players are really good based on the new system, you're obviously also going to have to pay them at the bottom because you have this pre-arb pool. So I guess the owners are seeing this as an added cost in payroll. At the end, it's all about the product. The product is the players. It's just a hunk of steel in, in, in Flushing, City Field, and it's just some laundry if they don't have Max Scherzer or DeGrom or what have you. I've said that a thousand times. But I'll say this to you, and this is the first time I'm saying this to you since December 2nd when this nonsense started. I don't know if we're going to have a season. I don't. Let's see what Joe thinks because I'm pessimistic. And I don't know if we're going to have a season. I can see us losing a full season. I think it's that bad right now. And I think there is a point in time 
where would they have an 81 game season or a 90 game season or a 100 game season if this thing dragged into the the late spring early summer then you're looking at looking at another covid season i guess but that would be two times in 3 years do you know how much damage that would do to the sport do you know how this history how the players who played in this history how they be damaged with their hall of fame chances Damage in terms of records. Damage in terms of how we looked at. Might not even look at as legitimate. Look, I'm the first one to joke the Dodgers championship ain't legitimate from 2020. I'm not sure how I'd feel about a shortened season again. I mean, at least this one is kind of self-inflicted. The COVID thing was ridiculous. I mean, they played two months. Maybe you could get a half a season out of them. 81 games. Maybe you get that. You know, start sometime around the 4th of July. At least that would make it somewhat legitimate. That's what you were hoping for during COVID. You couldn't get that done. Similarly, they couldn't come to an agreement, these two sides. Plus, there was other things. There's other mitigating factors that you had to put into play. But that's how I feel. I feel very pessimistic. And I look at the 2004 NHL situation and the, and what went on there and how they tried, they tried. And then by pretty much where the All-Star break would have been in February, they gave up and they said, well, we'll hope to have hockey next year. And they did. And I guess, in a way, fans come back. You know, when 2011 or whenever it was when the Rangers had, was it 2013 when they had their run to the Cup? 20, yeah, 2013 or 2014 when they had their run to the Cup. I don't think anybody cared about the strike back then. That was 10 years later when they, you know, they were playing the Kings in the Conference Finals. In the, I mean, excuse me, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Nobody seemed to care. You forget. You forget because you're a fan. But there's a lot of pain between when something like that happens and then when you finally ready to re-engage. You better hope you have that moment. You better hope you have that 95 series like they, they had Yankees in Seattle. You have that kind of golden era of interleague play like we experienced as New York fans. And again, I'm talking from a New York perspective. I'm not even talking about the rest of the league. You need competition. You need the 28 other teams. You don't just have the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Then that's a, that's a six-team league. That's not enough. You need more than that. All right, let's take a quick break. Returning for the second time in a month, He is our subject matter expert. He is a guy that's a former agent. He's a guy that's consulted the Major League Baseball Players Association. He knows what's going on. He's humble, but he knows what's going on. If you want to listen to one person, I don't care who they work for, ESPN, Fox, The Athletic, whatever, forget about it. You listen to this guy. He's going to give you the truth. Joe Casal, he's our contributor here on the Talking Mets podcast. He's our labor contributor, whatever you want to call him. We'll talk to him about all these issues and more right after this. Mets fans love David Wright. Anthony DeComo, author of the book The Captain, David Wright's memoir, joined the Talking Mets podcast and answered my question about his thoughts on the legacy of the former Mets captain. Well, I think he's also a player that you can't judge solely on what he did on the field because he meant so much to the franchise. He, uh, both from a leadership capacity, he was obviously named the fourth captain, in franchise history, um, but just the way that he represented the team, continues to represent the team, you know, he meant more than just your typical, not, not that there's ever a typical seven-time All-Star, but he meant more than your typical seven-time All-Star. So, yes, I think there is certainly disappointment that he couldn't replicate those Hall of Fame caliber years into his 30s and be that guy and ultimately make it to Cooperstown uh, because he was that good at the peak of his prime. Uh, But I think when you look back at his career on balance, still the best position player in Mets history. Um, You know, one of the better players that we've seen here in New York in a long, long time. 
And you take the fact that he was that Hall of Fame caliber player, at least for a while, you package it together for the, everything that I just said in terms of what he did for the franchise, what he did to legitimize. I mean, he made this a Mets town for a while there in the, in the mid-2000s, and that takes some doing. So package it all together, package it with the leadership, the fact that he was the captain, the fact that when you think New York Mets, even today, a couple of years after he played his final game, you still think David Wright. He's still one of the more prominent names that pops immediately into your head. Uh, you know, I, I think you can't really put a measure on that in terms of its impactfulness. So, yeah, it, it was a successful career by any stretch, I think it's fair to say. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back and joining us second time in a month. And guess what? I love talking to him. But the fact that we're talking to him and not talking about grapefruit roundups, talking about roster construction, getting excited about something happening in Port St. Lucie. But it's our good friend, Joe Casal, former agent, uh, media consultant. He's uh, very in tune with what's going on with these current negotiations, as you guys heard a couple of weeks ago. And Joe... Uh, when you left a couple of weeks ago, you you painted the picture. Now, you, you didn't know anything, but you painted the picture based on what you did know, in your opinion, was that you didn't feel there'd be a start to the regular season. And I, and I didn't disagree with anything you said, but I said to myself, Rob Manfred thought it'd be a disastrous result canceling games. I, I knew the players were together and ready to fight but there was still these hundred free agents and i'm saying do they really want to miss a paycheck and here we are oh just a little over a week from saint patty's day forget about valentine's day and there is no baseball and you know this is we, you and i are talking about four o'clock here on a sunday and it sounds like nothing was accomplished in the last round of discussions earlier today no movement nothing at all um, and the real scary part is, if you listen to what Jared Diamond just tweeted out a little bit ago, uh, if you're mired in baseball Twitter, but the overwhelming majority of people who follow baseball, who go to games and watch games on TV, this is what he wrote, simply don't care about any of these issues. I've tried explaining the CBT to friends a thousand times. They don't care. That's the dangerous part, because this is a very uh, nuanced, very detailed, very important negotiations for the players. And the problem is the average fan doesn't understand. Now, the PR battle is all negative on the owners, but at some point, everybody gets looped into it. So here we're at, and um, can I expect baseball by May 1st? I know I'm asking a lot here. Can I expect baseball by May 1st, regular season baseball by May 1st? Well, I think, I think you have to understand where we are in terms of these kind of negotiations. In negotiations like this, you have to look at inflection points. And from the owner's side, they have always felt the inflection point was blow out April. The players will panic because they're missing a check and then we'll be able to do a deal. And, you know, the idea that they locked the players out, they didn't negotiate for 43 days after being given a proposal. You know, there was never going to be a start to the regular season. I mean, if there was, then they would have had negotiating sessions prior to 43 days out. Um, that was always the owner plan. Now you say, okay, what is the owner inflection point? In all of these negotiations, it's not owners versus players. It's owners versus owners 
then owners versus players. And until the owners versus owners situation gets settled, you're really not going to have any substantial negotiations with owners versus players. It's why I laugh when I read somebody like Buster Olney or John Heeman say, well, at least they're talking. And that tells me you don't have any idea, even though you've been covering the sport for 25 years, how negotiations like this work. There are times when it isn't in your best interest to talk, that it actually does more damage sitting across the room negotiating with someone who you feel doesn't respect you, is not negotiating in good faith. It's, it's actually worse. And that's kind of where they are right now. You know, they can meet and talk for an hour and a half. But until the issues within the owners are settled, then you're getting nowhere. And by, the, by that, I mean the inflection point for the owners is 25 games missed. That's the number of games missed before they have to start rebating sponsors and the regional sports network and some rights fees and, thing, and, and advertising. And they've only missed six so nature. far. They're going to they're gonna cancel right. more, but they've only missed six so far. Right. So until you get to that number, what is the incentive for the owners to move off their numbers? There's none because they aren't hurting yet. They're, you know, so and the players know this. So what is the incentive for the players to do this without having to hit the owner inflection point? And that's kind of where it's at. And I understand the fan frustration in this and the fans want what they want and all of that. And when I say, and I say this with all respect to the fans, this isn't about you because these parties have to live with whatever agreement gets negotiated over the next five years. You don't as a fan, if you choose not to watch baseball anymore because of this, that's your option. But it doesn't change the fact that these parties have to live with this agreement. And so it's, it's kind of, you know, they all give the same lip service. We care about the fans. No, they don't. If they cared about the fans, they slash the prices of concessions and tickets 50% the day they settle this thing and do it for the first three months of the season. They have no intention of doing that. What you're going to hear from the owner's side when this is settled, well, you can't commit to payroll like we thought we were going to, and we're going to cut that down. I mean, you're already hearing those murmurs. It's one of the reasons why Derek Jeter quit. You know, I mean, it's like it's the same playbook. You know, I mean, it's 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 the same playbook from 1975. It's the same playbook from 1981. It's the same playbook from 1994. The names and parties have changed, but the playbook's the same. And so it's not like when I when we spoke a few weeks ago and I said there's not going to be a regular season starting on time. It wasn't like I was Nostradamus. It was just seeing the playbook, the same playbook without any change and thinking that it was going to be different, and it wasn't. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. So if I were to lay out a crystal ball, barring a sudden change on the owner's side, I don't think you're going to see baseball until those 25 games are missed. I should say I don't think you're going to see real negotiating until those 25 games are missed. The well, are, they, are they going to, when you say that, See, the fan is thinking, well, is that when spring training is going to start? Because if you're going to have baseball May 1st, which is about 25 games, let's say, you need to have spring training up and running by April 1st, you know, for last week of March. So you've got two, three more weeks of negotiation before you hit that. And you still have all this frenzy, like you and I joked about the supermarket sweep, all these free agents. Those guys, and those guys are pinched. I said that at the beginning. Those guys are pinched. Their salaries this year are done. 
unless you're one of the top four or five free agents. And even then, you may want to sign a pillow contract. So you're looking at a situation where the season wouldn't start till May 1st, you know, not necessarily. Or are you talking about a situation where, you know, even later, because, you know, once they lose 25 games, you know, that's when they'll get serious about actually getting a spring training and negotiations go. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you're going to need at least 10 days to two weeks of a spring training to get players ready at a minimum. So really, they could be ready in two weeks. But the problem you're going to have is you have to have those 25 regular season games canceled before owners start taking a financial hit. Because they don't care about baseball in April. You know, when we go back again to, you know, the talk of, well, we care about the fans. Well, if you cared about the fans, you would be negotiating this deal. You don't care about the fans because you know April's your slow month. What you're caring about is trying to squeeze the union. And I think that what happens in these instances, Mike, is when people try to do that on the management side, whatever fissures that they think they're, they're creating on the union side, it ends up galvanizing everybody. You know, because what happens is this Max Scherzer is willing to miss $43 million in his salary this year. The guy making $400,000, $600,000, $800,000, $1.2 million. Those guys say, hey, if that guy's willing to eat it, I got to eat it too. And everybody begins to start getting together more. And that's the problem in the miscalculation, I think, that, that owners and definitely Rob Manfred have right now. And I think you're going to see this really play out more in the coming weeks, barring a change. I mean, when it came out this week that Artie Moreno was one of the owners unwilling to bend on CBT, and you say to yourself, he has the best player of this generation on his team. He has the most unique player of this generation on his team. He owns all of the real estate around Angel Stadium worth billions of dollars. And what he's telling you is, well, I don't want to spend a lot of money to make my team better. Meanwhile, he just I he like just it. authorized a two-year deal for a guy that pitched one inning in two years in Noah Syndergaard, which makes me laugh right. that, that, that that's one of the guys. I mean, and look, that brings me to what really where we're at. You need 23 of 30 owners to ratify an agreement. You have four right. that already are not happy. And the current agreement, which I think had the, and, and you said it last week, and we could get into playoff debate and all this other stuff, but really those are the appetizers that they probably could work out very quickly. It's the collective bargaining, uh, the competitive balance tax. And that's Bob Castellini of the Reds, Chris Illich of the Tigers, Ken Kendricks of the D-backs, Audie Moreno of the Angels. I'm surprised you don't hear about a Jerry Reinsdorf in there. I'm surprised you have, you have others. Now, as you raise that CBT from 220 to what the players want, 238, obviously you're not going to get the 23 votes. I can only imagine who those others are. I, I, are you just putting these four guys aside? If I'm Manfred, look, these guys are just not going to agree to anything. So I got, I've got 26 owners left. I got to get 23 of 26. That's the way I look at it. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to look at this where if I'm trying to get this pushed through, uh, there's certain people that are never going to vote yes, and these are the four guys. And, uh, and it, one of them is surprising, Moreno. The other three, I guess not so much because of the markets they're in. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, that's the owner versus owner issue. And so you're never going to get an agreement with the players until the owner versus owner issue gets settled. And the owners seem intent on wanting 14 of 13. 
excuse me, 14 teams in the playoffs. That's almost half the league. That does not make the league more competitive. It makes it less competitive because people in other markets don't have to really spend a lot. I mean, shoot, if you can win 83 games, you may make the playoffs. But Why I think, I, Joe, I think they're looking at that wrong. I think mean, what's amazing to me, even the players, why? And I think we brought this up when we talked. You still could do the six division winners, and you could have eight wild card teams. Why not just do? If this is so, I mean, maybe this is where the players would get their salary shaved. But cut the regular season down by a week. Do a hundred and fifty-four game schedule. Do a round robin week wild card playing of the four teams. And I said this rather than the Mets or the Yankees or whoever sitting around hoping some tanking team in September is going to beat their competitor and they scoreboard watch, let them play each other. Those four teams, it gives incentive for the postseason teams that uh, win the division uh, not to, you know, push to win the division. And by the time you get through that week, even if it's single elimination on the first one and maybe a two out of three on the next, uh, your pitching's burnt and you're not going to have an advantage going into the NLDS. I think that if that's what needs to be done, does that water it down? It doesn't water it down any worse than playing the last week of the season and having guys with a puncher's chance at 82 wins to make the wild card. It really doesn't in that, well, in that sense. The problem that you have, though, is the players get their money over 162 games. The right. owners make a chunk of their money in the playoffs. So they'll so shave them. If, one side is giving. If you want to shave the regular season, what are the players getting in return? You know, and that is where the rub comes in. Because the owners, look, we used to hear for years, what did Hal Steinbrenner used to say? It's a million and a half dollars we make for every home playoff game. Well, players don't make that. Right. You know? Right. So it's, it's oh, and, and this is where these things get dicey. If you pretty much destroy the regular season if half the teams are going to be in the playoffs. Now, again, you want to be the NBA and you want to have a three-game series in August, um, you know, Mets, Braves, but, you know, both teams are pretty comfortable in the playoffs. Um, and the Mets say, you know what, I'm resting Max Scherzer, you know, maintenance. And the Braves say, you know what, I'm resting Ronald Acuna, Acuna Jr., maintenance. You know, we see this in the NBA all the time. You right. know, I got my tickets to see LeBron and the Lakers. Well, LeBron's got a maintenance day. I just ate $300. You know what, though? Here's what I don't understand, Joe. Is I, I mean, I'm a big NBA fan. I go back all the way to, I mean, I started watching the NBA when Rick Pitino was the coach of the Knicks. I'm not that far back, but that's long, long enough ago. Uh, playing for home court meant something. Playing for the, I mean, maybe over time, the science of, the NBA and these sports said, Hey, do you realize the percentage difference that you're really playing for to win? But I would think a manager like Buck Showalter, uh, you know, just to use that as an example, I'm sure there are others, even Brian Snicker, the sticker of the Braves. You want to send messages in the regular season. You want to win those games. Uh, players want to compete uh, winning the division. If you could give some incentive to winning the division, even if you want to make it where the wild card team right now doesn't get a home game, there's no travel. There's got to be a way to mitigate that. I know the players want to, uh, you know, increase the competition. Quite simply, here's the, the thing. Unless there's a salary floor, which I don't think they'll ever be able to get in there, you're never going to convince these teams not to tank and build the Astros way because it's almost like the lottery ticket way. 
five bad years for one to two good years. And and the only way you really want to change that, fans got to stop showing up, Joe. And I said this to a fan this week. Oh, I'm never going to watch again. Okay. And I said, you know what that means to me? You're never going to watch again? Here's what I don't want to hear from you when these games start. That means no cable, no shirts, no tickets, no checking the app when you're, you know, not doing anything. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. And, and, and the problem is they're not going to do that. Cancel that app. Don't even bother going because, you know, your, your nephew wants to go. Oh, well, I'll take him this week because he really. No, you, you, a boycott's a boycott. It's not a partial cut because if that's what's going to be the case and the owners feel, and this is my problem. I think a lot of those owners feel that the fans are peasants. They don't have respect for them. They'll be back. I could get them back. I, I got to well, tell no you, question about it. but they better be careful because you know what? I was driving around this weekend. And here in New York, I don't know where it is in Florida. It's four thirty nine for a gallon of gas. And if you're going to drive fifty miles to go to the ballpark and fifty miles back, if you're in the suburbs, that's adding a bigger commitment to what is already going to be increased prices. Uh, I'd be careful about how arrogant I am. And I know I've said this a thousand times, but I will tell you, I could enjoy baseball as much. Wa- and I'm a big baseball fan. Watching it on my nice TV in my house on a July day. Then when the game is over, I shut it off. I go in my backyard and have a barbecue with my family, and I don't have to deal with all the other garbage. And I get the same experience well, that if I, I was that, sitting in Section 300 at City Field. That's it. Yeah, I I think that one of the things that is not really, you know, come home to the owners and to Rob Manfred is that this is not 1994. And baseball's window has been shrinking for a while. And you start getting to where we are right now in the sports calendar. The next two weeks, three weeks is March Madness. Nobody cares about baseball. And when I say nobody, I'm not talking about New York, Boston, St. Louis, you know, major. I'm talking about 80% of the other markets in the game. I don't care. Seattle, they don't care about Gonzaga. Okay. I mean, you know, the next three weeks is March, March Madness. But they can't and, stay and, away, and Joe. Creates- do you really think, I mean, the, the, the kind of attendance these teams, do you think that people will stay away? I I'm concerned from an economic standpoint that there's a lot of decisions people are going to have to make with their entertainment dollar because they're going to have to reallocate it to basic goods. That's just the reality of the world we're in right now, temporary, long-term, whatever. But I've never seen these guys stay away. They've said they do. They didn't. They didn't in the 90s, and I know it's not the 90s. Can they really? You know, if the Mets and Yankees are playing really well on July 4th, you think they're going to remember all this? You know what it's I'm saying? Not, like they never see, did. That's, but that's but that's the part that is different here. The Mets and Yankees will draw an August game in Milwaukee. Maybe not. You know, I mean, it's a different time. I mean, look, the reality of where we are right now. You're right. People are going to choose, pick and choose what they're going to do with their entertainment dollars. And but the problem becomes visibility. Baseball, here's the window we're at in sports right now. Three weeks, we have March Madness. The next three weeks, we have NFL free agency. In April, the NFL draft, which, by the way, drew bigger ratings than the World Series last year. Now you start getting that window becomes even, even tinier. Then the NBA and NHL playoffs start. So the baseball window, the negotiated deal, better happen between May and middle of June. Because if you don't, and guess what ramps up in most of the markets in the country? It's the NFL. The NFL. You said that, football. right. 
But Joe, do they realize? Do they realize they're losing the PR battle? The owners? Do they understand how badly? No, but they're not. In their mind, they're not losing the PR battle because because they said Max Scherzer drove up in a Porsche. Is that why? I mean, I get a kick out of him. He drove up in a Porsche. Right. What do you want him to drive? Right. You know, come on. But it's like, but what happens is they are only given information they want to hear. It's one of the problems with our politics today. So it's the same thing. These guys, there is a faction of owners who truly believe they're going to bust the union out. They really believe that. And, you know, they're going to find out that that isn't the case. See, and I, as I you said, don't think the along, union, bl- you think the union's willing to lose a full season if that really comes down to it. Let me ask you this. Who's using who's willing more to lose a full season? And I'm going to go back to an analogy. And maybe this isn't perfect. Are we in the NHL 2004 stage in baseball right now? Where now that was about a salary too, cap, but are we there? It's too early are the owners to willing? Are the players willing to lose a full? Who's more willing to lose a full season? But I will tell you this much: the owners in this game, if you're coming off COVID and you shut the season down in total, guess what? You come back in 23 with a new deal; those player salaries are still guaranteed. Whether there's two thousand people in the stands, whether you had to rebate thirty million dollars, and you still got to pay, the, you lock them costs. out. You still you have to pay, pay the contracts. You still have to pay the contracts right. this year, right? You lock them out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I mean, look, you can lock them out this year for the year, and you're not, you don't have to pay them, but you have to pay them next year when you start up again. You're gonna. I mean, so it's it's premature to you go to that pay. far. So let me just make sure I understand this: you lock them out, and they don't play a single game this year. Those contracts still have to be paid out. I guess they have to pay out on next year, right? right? Or are they gone for good? They just so told, you're just paying told. double. You're you're paying double the contract in 2023, basically, paying for two years no, instead of one. No, what no. happens is you lose that. What ends up happening is here. This is when the other battle takes place. You start battling over service time. See, the owners are going to say, "Hey, look, we don't have to pay anybody." The player's going to say, "No, you do," and then that becomes a whole national labor relations board issue because somebody's going to file a grievance and then you're going to have the issue of having to negotiate service time because the players are going to say wait a second you locked us out why am i losing a year of service time i'm not losing a year of service time because you locked us out and so that becomes a whole other problem what ends up happening is you create a whole series of unintended consequences being really hard line that you don't want to have right now so I, I think it's one of the reasons why you're not seeing a lot of heavy rhetoric at this point, because it's, it's at that sensitive stage where you don't want to start setting things up for what could be a, a grievance before the National Labor Relations Board over unfair bargaining and things of that nature. So everybody's trying to keep the, the, in, the inflamed language down. But as the time goes on, this is going to start getting heavy. And again, well, the players, the, the, the owners had some, some, I don't want to say stuff. I'll read you the quote. This is their response to today's meeting. We were hoping to see movement in our direction to give us additional flexibility to get a deal done quickly. This is coming from David Lennon, by the way, the Newsday. The Players Association chose to come back to us with a proposal that was worse than Monday night and was not designed to move the process forward. On some issues, they even went backwards. Simply put, we are deadlocked. We will try to figure out how to respond, but nothing in this proposal makes it easy. Now, the players say, let's meet tomorrow. Um, Andy Martino basically says, same minimum salaries as previous. 
which is so close. That's ridiculous. They're fighting over that same CBT threshold as previous. That's the big nut here. That's the big piece. Reject the international draft, 12-team postseason, pre-arb pool down from 85 million to 80. I think the owners are way, way further off than that on that. I think they want to do like 30 million bucks on that. On-field changes can be implemented in 45 days if agreed to by a joint committee. I still don't understand some of the on-field changes with bigger bases. I mean, I just I I don't understand why they're messing with the game in that way, but that's a whole nother story. So that's not inflamed, Joe, but that's basically the owners saying, ah, you guys are just not negotiating. You guys are not negotiating at all. Well, because they're in a situation where they're not hurting yet. And that's the reason why they're not. They, you know, they feel that negotiations are, they can take the stand because they're not hurting yet. The old thing, get back to me after 25 games. Get back to me after losing 35 or 40 games. And then you have players saying, listen, you guys locked us out. We were willing to play, but we're not eating 40 games worth of salary. So you want to negotiate this deal, it's great, but you know what? We're getting our money. And the owners are going to say, no, we didn't play the games. Not my problem. We would have played the games if we just lifted the lockout and continued to negotiate. And that's where the rubber's going to meet the road here. Because if this thing extends to where owners are now missing, and, and owners are going to have to rebate or games missed, the players are going to get entrenched and say, you know what? We didn't, we didn't precipitate this. You guys locked us out. Why are we eating? Why are we losing money? And then that's when, as the saying goes, the shit hits the fan. And we haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to. Oh, I think and you're close. Happens, I think you're close. We're getting closer. But when that happens, then we're going to see. And again, it's the law of unintended consequences. There are, there's a, a faction of owners who really believe this is their best opportunity to break the union, and they're misreading the room badly. And it's going to end up, listen, these, these, this is an industry that twice had collusion cases go against them. Sure. And, you know, I mean, we can go through the labor history. It's, it's not, I mean, Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller and Max Scherzer seem to be the guys and, you know, Max Scherzer is new to the New York market. So, you know, we don't know him other than as a competitor, but, uh, it sounds like in a lot of ways the media is portraying, and I, I laughed about the whole he drove up in a Porsche. Um, look, you don't have to make $43 million to drive a Porsche, by the way. I know people who have driven Porsches, okay? Um, it sounds like they're trying to maybe paint him as an agitator. Um, you know, and then, you know, John Heyman just tweeted out a little bit ago, strong contingent on players' side doesn't want to move their luxury tax offered from any further down from 238 million if they don't the stare down stalemate may go on a while mlb surely has some wiggle room from 220 but hard to see them going up another eight percent is that the old meat in the middle joe so if you're how do you fix that i mean look as a mets show as a new york sports fan none of the cbt penalties are good for new york teams um, I mean, but if they move it up or move it slightly up and keep some of the penalties the same as they are now, I mean, it's very likely if Hal Steinbrenner wanted to, he hasn't shown an inclination, could spend it. Cohen is right now. We'll see how long that lasts. That's not going to be forever. Um, that, you know, there's John Heyman painting it where the players are just stuck on this number 238, which based on revenues going up, doesn't seem that unreasonable. Well, the reality of this is, this is a $12 billion industry, $11 billion industry. The owner proposal 
is not even remotely reflective of the current growth marketplace and the potential for further growth if the parties work together. Now, this is not an issue of player versus owner. This is Steve Cohen and the Dodgers. And if Hal Steinbrenner decides to channel his inner daddy uh, against the rest of the game, it's the other owners that don't want these more. You think, do you think a majority of the owners in Major League Baseball are happy that a new owner stepped in and spent the kind of money that Steve Cohen They didn't spent? want him. Joe, Joe I per- no, and tell me if you agree with this. I don't think they wanted him. I think Fred Wilpon and more like Soul Cat said, look, guys, I am broke. I can't run this right. team. Well, that's look, exactly, look, I don't no think question. people realize that there was a thin line between the Mets and what happened with the Dodgers. And I know Bud Seelig always used to talk about well, Frank McCourt missed payroll and all the things that went on with that divorce. Uh, there was a lot of loans given out by baseball to Fred Wilpon, those lifelines, and the heavy leverage that he did against his network and whatever other assets he had that kept him afloat probably five years longer than anybody wanted to. And Bud could talk all he wants, like he did out the door, that it wasn't apples and oranges. There was no chance the Wilpons could have survived COVID. So you had two choices. You go, which funny. Right. They were more willing to go with a chaotic A-Rod, J-Lo cast of a thousands, like the old New Jersey Nets, the Secaucus 7. They'd rather have that, which would not have necessarily been better for the Mets in the long term, in my opinion, because there would have been a lot of financial up and down on that, than go with a guy who's worth $14 billion. Right. I mean, that tells you and, all you need to know. I mean, am I wrong there? That that yeah. would, imagine if A-Rod and no, J-Lo, I mean, they, they didn't divorced want... right after. Could you imagine how that would have worked didn't... out for the Mets? Yeah, they didn't want Steve Cohen, and they they had to take him, and because those are the two options. Okay, it wasn't and it had like nothing to do about his option. his SEC. Let's make it clear for anyone listening: it's nothing to do with the SEC investigations. Because I'm no. tired of hearing owners. Because if I go into the background of all these guys, I'll find dirt on every owner. Am I, am I wrong, Joe? And that includes the guy who used to be commissioner. The dirt and all. The, the reality of the situation is they want they they want owners to act a certain way. It's like hey, it's like you know, listen, we're going to let you into the club, but we really don't want you. We, we don't want you to be you know. Based on what you know, other than the spending, what has Steve Cohen done other than react as well as he could under the circumstances? Firing immediately a bad employee. Uh, he just brought in a female executive. His wife, by the way who is very involved with the organization, very much about progressive uh, causes. Isn't that minority, by the way? I think she's, I believe she's Dominican. What more could you want? This is what drives me crazy. They don't what want more he, could they, they want? want that they stand payroll. for everything that they want. Everything that they what, want in they, modern business. They didn't want that payroll to go where it went. But it was okay for the I mean, Dodgers, the, the Yankees, the Mets were a bridge too far. Is that the way it looks like? I mean, but this look has been going on. No, what it is, but the last the Yankee payroll is lower now than it's been in 11 years. The Red Sox blew up their a world championship team and lowered payroll. Okay. The only out of control team payroll wise. Now I'm speaking from a baseball perspective. The owner side perspective is the Dodgers until right. Steve Cohen came along. Right. Okay. And maybe Steve and Cohen now, doesn't do it. If the Dodgers don't do it, you don't know. I you think know, he does, but now know. you are saying, Okay, now we get them. Now Derek Jeter left the the Marlins 
because he had a commitment to get the payroll from $58 million to $135 million, and they pulled it off the table. So Derek Jeter said, hey, I'm not, I didn't come here for this. You know, so now it's the same, Mike, it's the same stuff that we've had in 45 years of labor in this business, that no matter how much these guys make, they don't want to spend it and put it. Now, they are floating that Bruce Sherman fired Jeter. That's been the report today that he wasn't. Yeah, but I mean, but that's that's first of all, if he was going to fire him, he would have fired him to say. And then you hear the other say, well, you can't fire Derek Jeter. Well, then he didn't fire him, (laughs) you know, and let's just say, you know, that that he did fire. What did he fire him for? He fired him because he was trying to win. He's trying to you, you made a commitment to spend money. Now you decided not to spend the money. Why? Because you lock the players out and you're going to start missing games. That's that's Derek Jeter's problem. Okay, I mean, it's like you hired me. You used my name to get the team. Because you weren't getting the team without my name because nobody sure. knew who the hell Bruce Sherman was. And now all of a sudden you've got this one and a half billion dollar asset because of me. And all so I why want- is it why is it that the NBA could have teams move, the NFL could have teams move, hockey could have teams move? Well, maybe it's time these owners, and look, some of them are historic franchises like Cincinnati. Maybe they don't belong. When I hear Stu Sternberg tell me that you can't make money unless you have dual city team. I'm saying to myself that then maybe Tampa is not the right market for you. There's nothing set in stone that you have to stay where you are. The Oakland Raiders moved multiple times. The Oakland Raiders, that was an iconic franchise, right? There's nothing wrong with it changing. The New York Islanders moved. The New York Islanders probably could have been in Nashville today if not for a couple of lucky breaks and maybe the league trying to keep that team. So, you know what? If Cincinnati's not a viable market, get out of there. If Detroit's not a viable market, get out of there. That's my thing. There's got to be markets that can support the payrolls that. Baseball is the only sport. And look, nobody likes to see teams move from L.A. to St. Louis back to L.A. like the Rams. I think it's it's kind of like the old ABA. You know, it's it's carnival. I get it. But nothing. We have this idea that everything today has to be forever. We forget that today wasn't always today. It was a whole different world yesterday. You know, the but Oakland A's no, the aren't always in Oakland. They were in Philadelphia a long time but here, ago. But here's the problem. Baseball's thriving in Detroit. Baseball's thriving in Cincinnati. These franchises are worth over a billion dollars. The Tigers are worth $2 billion. They don't want to pay the players. The sport grows they don't want to share the growth. You know what the difference is between the NBA and the and, and Major League Baseball? The sport grows the pie. The players get 58% of the pie. And the Steve NBA, Traxel Marcus was on my player. show. Steve, Steve Traxel was on my show. He said for years. Now, he's not involved in the uh, players negotiation now. But he said for years when he was in the union, it was always 56 to 57%. He said that's precipitously gone down. I don't know if we know what it is today for baseball players. But it's probably yeah, not fifty-six and percent. And and not only going down, the league doesn't market its players like the NBA markets its players. NBA players are market globally. You have Rob Manfred telling Mike Trout, "We really need to do a better job of marketing himself." No, that's your job. Okay, that's your job. But this is the guy who also called the championship trophy a hunk of steel. 
and who was laughing at the press conference announcing that they were not going to start the season on time. I mean, these are not people who really read the room, who understand. And what's happened, Mike, is they're not growing the sport. They all got fat and happy and rich on regional sports networks until the regional sports network business hit the skids. And now baseball is truly a local sport. It's not a national sport. It's a local sport. We look at it as New York fans and see baseball completely different as fans in other markets. Okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. Here in South Florida, this is a franchise that has two world championships. Okay? Right. A lot more than a lot of franchises in the game. And sure. guess what, Mike? Once we turn May, you know what everybody's talking about here? The Heat Dolphins. have a chance to win an NBA championship. The, Heat, the Panthers yep, have Miami a chance Heat. to win the Stanley Cup. And, and by, oh, the, by way, the way, University of Miami and the Dolphins have new football coaches. We're, we're the, getting in their season. The, the Heat are a perfect they? example. Perfect. Mickey Arison and one of my, listen, I'll go to my grave with saying Pat Riley is the man. Like, that's my coach. I mean, I'm a Knicks fan. Uh, saw Riley during my formative years. Now he's an executive. I know that maybe he's, you know, more on the retirement path. They made NBA relevant. The Heat could be crying the same blues down in South Florida that the Marlins can. But Pat Riley and Mickey Harrison made, made sure that didn't happen. And, but so, here's the problem, Joe. You, you, here's where you're talking the talk here. And a lot of the fans are talking the talk about the players. But here's what I have in front of me, and I'm looking at it right now. You have Chris Mad Dog Russo, always a pro owner guy, always a pro owner guy, blasting the players for walking out on the deal at the last minute. You've got Bill Madden talking about how Jeff Passan ran around and told the players and the agents not to take the deal. All due respect, I've had Jeff pass it on the show when he had his book out. Uh, I don't think he has that power. You know, the media, yeah. to me, I has mean, done it, such it, a crap job. I mean, Evan Drylick of The Athletic has done good reporting what's going on. But they have to be careful because I understand access. But none of them have really broken it down. I mean, I talk to the average fan. They don't feel sorry for the players. I had an argument the other day with my dad. And I'm like, you got to get it. They're not greedy. They just want their part of the pie if you don't like what the x pie is whatever that is then shrink it you know how you shrink it defund it as a fan joe you and i are fans of the sport forget about media and everything can we not if we had the power and the people behind us can we not defund major league baseball with our, by closing our wallets how it's not hard right hard but not hard what? am i wrong in that defund it yeah i mean listen here's the deal it is an 11 billion dollar industry Player salaries have shrunk for the last seven years. It's the only major sport in which the players' salaries have shrunk. Okay, Most fans don't know that. Most fans just think of baseball and they think of how much money Max Scherzer makes or Giancarlo Stanton makes. But the average payroll, average salary has gone down. So, And you have, you have teams that intentionally keep their numbers down. The Pirates... The Pirates in the middle between 2010 and 2015 were putting together a powerhouse team. What did they do? They let everybody go. So, and Bob Nutting is still getting a piece of revenue sharing pie. So the whole thing is messed up. And 
you know, I don't expect fans to understand the nuance of labor negotiations and what takes place, but I also don't expect the fans to just listen to one side and say, hey, that's it, or you players are greedy. You know, because you alluded to earlier, an AP story talking about the car that Max Scherzer drove in. Did anybody talk about the private jet that the owner or the commissioner was flying in on into Jupiter, Florida? No, they, it they, was a G5. They hate, it was they, a G5. They hate the players. And that's a $75 million they hate the player. Okay. They hate the players. Right. I mean, Joe, they hate the players. And if I go through each one of these owners' profiles, look, they all, some of them are self-made. I have Listen, I have no problem with self-made billionaires. I really don't. I mean, Mark Cuban's one. I mean, I have no problem with it. You built it. You earned it. What I do have a problem with is they're, they've done a really good job in making the players look like the greedy, ungrateful ones because the fan sees a, a guy playing a game that they could play on the weekend. They just don't understand the value of that player. Once you remove Max Scherzer from the mound, that uniform with me in it is worth nothing. That medal, which yeah, is City Field, fans don't realize is an expensive. There are only part. a thousand players in the entire world that can play Major League Baseball that has a value. What you did in the beer league doesn't have a value, and so it's an age-old thing. But at the end of the day, the players and owners have to live with the deal that gets hammered out. That supersedes the fans, and if the fans choose not to come out. I, I don't tell people how to spend their 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 entertainment dollar. If you choose not to go, you don't go. You know, I mean, listen, the Marlins have trouble drawing fans. They're in the upper 15, 16 teams in terms of local TV ratings. A lot of people watch Marlins games. They don't go to them. So now they negotiated a brand new television agreement that was adding a lot more money to the franchise. And Derek Jeter was very close to signing Nick Castellanos as a free agent, who is a South Florida guy, um, before the lockout hit. And they were going, you know, Jeter was told that this newfound money's going back in the team until the lockout, then he was told that it wasn't. And that's not going to be what Derek Jeter's about. Now, it's very easy to take shots at Derek Jeter because it's, Derek Jeter, and he's aloof, and he's this, and he's that. He didn't know the market, and, da, 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 and all this other commentary that I've heard. But the bottom line is this. They don't make this deal to own this ownership group does not secure the key without Derek Jeter's name on it. Okay? That's a billion and a half dollar asset. We're talking about a team, Mike. We, we hear all these numbers, but we forget. The Miami Marlins are worth $1.5 billion, with a B, dollars. You're going to tell me now this industry is hurting? Come on. Well, what they're I mean, saying is that it's like living in a house worth a million dollars, but your cash flow is not a million. Uh, I guess yeah, the question that is. that sounds really good. Then you know what you do? You sell the house. None right. of these guys are selling their teams, are they? None no, because if I didn't have money okay. for the, to, to put heat in the house or to pay my taxes right. or to put food on the table, and then, you'd have to and get none it. of them are defaulting on loans, and none of them are having a problem leaving the lights on, as the Motel Six ad would say. <laughs> okay, none of them are having those problems. Okay, so I always all I hear is Rob Manfred, who the other day had the audacity to say with a straight face, you "No, know, this industry's been really hurt in the last five years." Really, really. 
an eleven billion dollar industry. Come on. Everybody need, let me like let me remind somebody. Let me remind somebody. Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred was the guy that was hiring fixers. Now, if anybody's ever watched Ray Donovan, that's who a fixer was, that show on Showtime, Ray Donovan. Right. He hired a fixer to go after A-Rod. That's Major League Baseball. That's Major League Baseball in a nutshell. They hired a fixer, thugs, to get up dirt on A-Rod. Is that not true, Joe? People don't believe. I remember I was on ESPN out here on Long Island. When I was going, I'm like, wait, wait, they hired a fixer? To go after A Rod, but A Rod had his own problems. That tells you who you're dealing with, Joe. That tells yeah, you who you're dealing I mean, with. Listen, I mean, it's all this whole thing is just nonsense. And it's and the frustrating thing is they aren't really far apart on dollars. They're far apart on the mechanics of it. And that can get worked out, but these parties have to trust one another. And the players don't trust the owners with good reason. Hell, they tried to slip in language that was completely different than what they negotiated at the 11th hour. Let me tell you, if anybody did that, those deals on much lower level have been broken down for stuff like that. And you know what? When you try to do that, you don't don't trust your you don't you don't trust your partner. Like you're going to buy a car and you're going to pay five hundred dollars a month for your car payment. And then you get the paperwork and you start reading it down and they added an extra $100 a month. And now you're paying $600 a month. You're still going to sign the deal? Chances are you're not. That's Joe, I, I hate to say it. This just, this just smells like the NHL in 2004. I hate to say it. It just smells Listen, like I it. Mean, I, I know those issues were that. different. I know that was the it's, salary cap. And they wound up firing their lead negotiator. And I'm not an NHL guy. Maybe you know. I don't think the players really got as much out of losing that season as maybe they thought they did. But obviously, the game was able to survive and thrive to a certain extent. Well, they, they struggled for a while, and now it's 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 beginning. You know, it's 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 in its it's be, it's in a better place. It's too early for me to say. My whole thing is I I want to see 25 games missed because I want to see the reaction to the owners who were holding this thing back. If all of a sudden they're missing 25 or 30 games, then that's their inflection point. Then we're going to see how they react until then. It's all speculation. Do I think there's going to be a deal prior to that? No, I don't because I don't see what's going to change in the next three weeks. There is no, no owners moving off the deal. They're not moving off their offer. And the players can't be the only people making proposals and reducing the ask. That's not how it works. It's how it works when people who write about these things are only concerned about their employment and just want the players to disagree to anything because we want to keep our jobs. Well, you know, that's unfortunately not how it works. And it's, I understand the fans frustration because they want to see baseball, but this is an $11 billion pie that has the opportunity to grow even bigger. The players are not going to continue to move backwards from a compensation standpoint. Those days are over. And if the sport has to shut down for a year for that to happen, guess what? The sport is going to shut down for a you, year. So you think the players are willing to lose a season? Your gut tells Absolutely. you Absolutely. And I, it's not my gut. I've talked to guys on the executive committee. And because, Mike, this isn't something that they just saw coming. They've known for two years they were going to get to this point. Literally, 
Nothing that has taken place so far has been a surprise to the players. Nothing. This, this, in, two, in 2020, we all knew we were going to get to this point. And nothing has changed to make it to, to that surprise anybody. It may be written by some people who cover the sport. Oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to have a deal. The players told you that. Talk to Zach Britton. Talk to Max Scherzer. Talk to Andrew Miller. Who told you that? And, there, and we can all get into the stupid, you know, behind-the-scenes nonsense. Bruce Mayer, he's too arrogant. It's just, that's all nonsense. At the end of the day, you've got this pool of money. And now the, how are we going to whack up the money? And we're not at the stage, in my opinion, that we're having serious talks about that yet because the owner side hasn't hit their inflection point. When they do, then we're going to have serious talks. And to me, you got to miss the games. You're going to wipe out April. You may have and to I'll, wipe out and, May. And, and that then be the we'll best. see. And then you're looking at you know, what, yeah, 120 I mean, games. Do season? I think, yeah, I mean, games do I, look. Mike, they didn't have a problem cutting the season down a couple of years ago during COVID. Okay, I, I, I think mean, fans understood want, that because of the situation. I don't sure, think they'll understand. But I'm talking about owners. See, owners don't mind missing regular season games because the players get paid. Then owners want more postseason games because that's right. where they make their money. And 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 so you know that's that's the rub. And again, you got to what what happens is you've got. There's an old saying, deadline spur action uh, in negotiations. And, but there wasn't a deadline for this. This was a lockout. There's no deadline yet. You know when the deadline is, Mike? The deadline is, if there is no deal, the deadline is Memorial Day to the 4th of July. You don't get a deal done by then. You're not, nobody's going to care if you get Joe, you don't get a deal by Memorial Day. There's not going to be a C. You can't, I mean, I guess you could do a 60 game season again. Yeah, you you do. I mean, you know, don't forget in 1981, they did a split season. So, yeah, I mean, you can do anything, but the problem you're going to have is you're, you're going to lose the, the consciousness of the sports fan in the sense that it's just two out of three NHL, years. It, and, it'll go as a very dark era, a very dark ruining oh, well, careers. I mean, it will go as, Hall of Fame go trajectory. as a monumental, right. It will go as a monumental management failure because you're saying you had an $11 billion industry. What the hell did you shut it down for? What did you lock people out in an $11 billion industry? So it's, you know, that's see, this is where they're playing with fire in the sense that this is in 1994. You know, to paraphrase Rick Bettino, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa aren't walking through that door. Right. And you've got the NBA and NHL playoffs. You've got the NFL, which is a monolith. It's not just a monolith for games. It's monolith for the draft, for free agency, for training camp, for, you know, you've got college football in, 80% of the NFL market and, and, and major league baseball markets, that's bigger than baseball. You know, the Atlanta Braves are world champions. Guess what? The university of Georgia will draw 80,000 people for their spring game. Hey, draw 80,000 people for the Braves world series. Parade. You know, I mean, right. it's a different world. And I so know. what you're going to lose is you're going to lose the consciousness of the sports fan. Will you get it back? Everybody, you know, 
there's all that saying. I always hear, you know, it's people are too big to fail. Well, you ever hear of Eastern Airlines anymore? I bet one much bigger than Eastern Airlines back in the day. Nobody's too big to fail. Okay? Right. I mean, you know, IBM was thought at one time too big to did fail. You, did you, you believe back – was the, was the NHL – and I know, again, keep going back to that. Two quick things before we wrap up. Back then, they claimed there were teams on the brink of bankruptcy. Was that true there back were. then? From, so so it's true. not Apple. So that's not apples to apples. What happened no, in the NHL? The NHL, because that's a niche, that's a niche sport in niche markets. The problem, though, is their new contracts, it's become a very healthy league. For example, it's, a, it's very healthy here in South Florida now with a team that may win the Stanley Cup. And what that means is my people are going to take their entertainment dollars and they're putting it toward the Florida Panthers, toward the Miami Heat, and not toward the Miami Marlins. And, oh, by the way, the University of Miami has a new football coach who is Mario Cristobal, who's a native of South Florida, who played at Miami. I'm going to shift money and go to some UN games. Guess the games I'm not going to? Marlins games. I'll watch them on TV if they're on, but I'm not going to those games. And that is a, a scene that's going to play in other markets. Mike, it's going to play in the New York market. Whether it's real or imagined or both, there is a perception that Hal Steinbrenner does not want to spend the money necessary to have a team in a large market. So those Tuesday night games against the Minnesota Twins, you'd still draw 43000 at the stadium, maybe drawing 24000 And I'll leave you with this. This will make your hair crawl because this is, I mean, again, WFAN overnight host. I don't know who this was. This is a tweet from someone who heard it said last night uh, host. They go who I won't say they were who they were. This is a tweet who said the players aren't blameless. And that if we re- replaced the best 1200 players with the next 1200, we wouldn't notice the difference since we root for brands, teams, and not individual players. If anybody really believes that uh, you got, I got That's a guy who shouldn't be working on a sports radio station. Well, it tells you the state of radio. Walk into yeah. a team store and see the names on the players' backs. Are there people go, buying? Go watch AAA and tell me there's reason why those guys are in AAA. Yeah, not all I mean, of them are prospects. That's just dumb. We, we, but we this is what you're getting. Right. But that's what you're but getting, you know Joe. What? This is the problem. This is where it's going to get nasty, and and it's going to get nasty for the owners who are losing the PR battle. But I fear the general public is going to lump both together and just say, I don't care about either one. This is a pain. This will be a painful year. If they don't solve this soon, meaning the next seven to 10 days, I think this is going to be a banner pain year for people with attendance. I think they're going to, for PR, they're going to suffer. They're going to suffer in the short term, but here's the other thing. Players have social media accounts. Players can lay out. Players can speak out now in a way they couldn't do before. They couldn't explain, you couldn't explain labor in 1981 on your Facebook page or on Twitter. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a voice now. The fan was just left with reading in the newspaper. Who's going to, you know, who's writing the story. And in those days it was decidedly pro management, you know, sports writers. And it's a different world now. I mean, how many times have we seen, Mike, since this started, players directly tweeting at John Heyman after he wrote something to say that's factually right. incorrect? Okay? Right. You're going to see that more that. and more. I mean, listen, 
there was no more institutional guy than Ken Rosenthal. He lost his job with the NLB network simply because he wanted to add balance to the discussions. And he ended up basically it's like getting unshackled. He wrote one of the best columns on the labor situation in baseball for the athletic a week ago. And it's kind of, I, 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 I texted him. I said, geez, Kenny, you're like, you know, you're, you're like out of the, you're your Shawshank redemption out of jail. I mean, what are you yep. doing? I mean, right. You know, but and the, the athletic is letting him do happen. it and the athletics letting him do it. And right. And, and that's where we are in media now. And yep. then, but, but my whole thing with owners is that be careful what you wish for. In your zeal to bust a union out, that you're not going to bust out, you don't want people to start going too far and thinking about you. We're at a stage in our in our country. We're going to want to know who's in, who's taking in Russian money, who's taking in Russian money. Mm. You know who is who's got ownership interest to Russia. Who who are friendly toward um, who's friendly toward Putin? You really want people to start digging? I don't. You uh, know? If I were if some I of these them, owners, I, I would be real careful because, again, when you yeah, become a billionaire, be careful what you wish and for. you know, you so know, go this, Joe, make a deal. Every billionaire has you know, blood on their hands and knows what his body's buried. You can't get to the zenith well, of this I mean, country. Listen, one of the Everybody's got blood on David, their hands. The biggest mistake David Stern made in 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 and an exemplary career as a commissioner is letting Prokhorov become an owner in this country. I mean, mm-hmm. let him rush. And he was applauded. And he was applauded as a, right. as a you know a new Steinbrenner. And he turned out to right. be a joke. He turned out to be a joke. Can you imagine? Can wow. you imagine in our society today if Prokhorov still owned the Nets, where they would be at right now? I mean, Adam Silver would. He has yeah. no hair left, but he would ha- have to put hair in his head to be able to pull it out. That, 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 all those assets would be frozen. Talk about not being able to pay your players. Right. So that's, you the, know, that's the one thing. That. The players have to get paid. You can bounce on every bill possible, but yep. I know for a fact, because I talk to paid. players, their, their yep. salaries are guaranteed, whether there's money paid. in the bank or not. Somebody's yep. got to pay you. That's the legal. I'll have to pay that's you at that exactly point. Exactly. Yeah. So. That's where we're at with this, you know? So, I, you know, for me, to wrap it up, I would say we're going to get into serious negotiations when the owners start hurting a little bit. They're not hurting. You yet. see no so quick end. But, but you, chance. you know what, Joe, and I, I, I brought up the 04 NHL lockout in the open, and I didn't know the issues. I just said the five is this is in for the long haul, and I could see a season getting canceled. And I think the players could win in that scenario. But boy, what does that mean for the, the sport over the next three to five years in New well, York? What it means maybe for nothing, the sport is but... it's going to take, it's going to get hammered more than they ever thought possible. And they're going to have to work their ass off to rebuild their industry. And it would be a, a cataclysmic failure to shut an $11 billion industry down for a year in the time that we're in in this country with the, all of the other external issues going on over money that can't, that really is not far enough apart to do it. And it, it would be, I mean, it's a failure on everybody's part at that point, but let me tell you, it's not as much of a play, a failure in the players because no matter what they earn, 
they're still employees. You know what they do? They get their, they play their game, they get their check, and they go home. The guy that has to keep the lights on, that's a different deal. And I would not be willing, if I owned a team, to be gambling that way. Because that's gambling. Okay, you've right. got all of these new partnerships and all of this new money into your industry. There's no guarantee it's going to stay there, Mike. And I would not, I would not gamble that. However, until there is an inflection point with ownership, you're not going to have any real negotiations. And 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 maybe I'm, I'm I'm being too glib about that because I don't think what's taking place right now, and I don't think what's taking place so far, is what I would term serious bargaining. Because there's only one side giving up too much and the other side isn't giving up squat. And that isn't a bargaining session. That's just, that's a shakedown and you have to get beyond that. And that's why I think I said, when this started, I'd be shocked to see baseball before June 15th. I kind of, I still feel that way. I haven't seen anything that makes me think it would start earlier. And the only reason why I use that date is because once you start getting past that, you start getting closer to college football and the NFL ramping up. And let me tell you, baseball does not want that. That's a doomsday scenario because you will land land on page 11C of every sports page in this country, including New York, if that happens. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that happen. But right now, until the owner's, you know, resolve their internal situation. They have no chance to get a deal done with the players. Joe, you uh, you are a bearer of bad news, but good information in a sea of misinformation. See, this is the reason nonsense. why you should not invite me to these shows because, see, I'm kind of like the Grim Reaper. But know? no, I mean, you I know, got like, emails from people. Shows. I get emails Sir, from people see, saying, I you know, I love... Shows. I'm the Grim Reaper. I you got to get me on these shows when there's no labor. <laughs> <laughs> I get more no followers after deal, you. Then I don't have to be... The, yeah, I don't want to be the Grim Reaper. I feel like the guy in the uh, black cape. I have to be you know, know, carrying the lantern. You but know? <laughs> people say, Silva, you actually know what you're talking about. Like, guys, I wouldn't do this an hour a week for my health. Like, I don't need to do this. doesn't pay enough bills. I do this because I love it, because I think there's an opening for real conversation in every aspect of our society, sports, politics, whatever. It's successful. And as I'm talking to you, I'm going through Twitter, and I'm just like, my God, I mean, I know that you have to be a house reporter when you get a press pass, but be fair. Be fair. And I cringe when I hear Some the of it's really themselves. bad. And, you know, I know a lot of the people in the industry, and I'll tell you, some of it even, and I, I'm old, and I, I shouldn't be surprised. Some of it is even surprising me, how just how bad Well, it I'll is. tell you one thing, like, Joe. Oh the problem God. with a lot of these guys is you've run your own business. I have been in other businesses, small businesses, albeit nowhere near the size of MLB. It's the principles are the same. The principles are the same. And at the end of the day, you could be the richest guy in the world. But if you don't treat your employees well, no trucks go out, no product gets processed, nothing happens. So the day that the owner of a company thinks they're more important than the employees, even though they sign the checks and without them, there is no you know, oil or gas in, or fuel into the car. Um, is the day that they go out of business. And I'm not saying they're going to go out of business, but I'll tell you what, this is this is smelling really bad, and I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we're here. I knew we'd get up to the deadline, and I'll tell you what, I give the players credit. I didn't think they had the cojones to bring it here. That's why I thought we weren't going to get here. I thought the players were like, nah, I don't have... They're willing to miss checks. 
and that and, yeah. and potential service time even bigger. And like Think I said earlier, who loses service time and doesn't get the 10 years at the end of his career. He loses a lot of money in pension at that point. A lot of money. That's right. That's why I think what's going to happen here is there's going to be a real battle for service time. And oh yeah, um, guys, and that can make it. And that can make it even go longer. See, they could agree to everything, but then they could say, "Oh, service time." The service time thing will make this a mess. And that's where I think yeah, because the bottom line is, this was a lockout, not a strike. And if you're a player, you're saying, "Why am I losing service time?" Over a lockout, I was willing to come to work. You wouldn't let me work. I'm not. I'm and not that and that. that is the biggest difference between '94 and now is that that was a strike. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So right. It, you know, right. it's gonna get it's gonna get dicey, but it needs to get dicey. That's the only way you're gonna get a deal done. You, you got to take a step back before you go far. Well, Joe, listen, yep. uh, you are the Grim Reaper of the Talking Mets podcast, but you're great. I love you. Stay safe and healthy down in Florida. By the way, Joe is a dog dad. If you follow him on Facebook, the adventures of Joe is a dog dad. And me who owns, well, I, I had four dogs. Now I got three. Uh, you know, Joe is a dog dad is more entertaining than his baseball. So go follow him on Facebook at that point. So great stuff. Joe. <laughs> I love you, man. Let's talk again. Let's do this, my friend, soon. All right. Mike, good to be with you. Thanks for having right. me. Joe Castell. Uh Great stuff. Uh, consultant knows very intimately what's going on with the MLBPA and the negotiations. And uh, I brought him back because I was like, you know, what do you think? And like I said in the open, this is smelling really bad. This is as pessimistic of a, as I've been about this whole situation in uh, probably since it started about baseball in a long time. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking About the Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. And look, I don't know what else to really say after that segment, a long segment with our friend Joe Casal, consultant, media consultant, former agent, has consulted with the Players Association, really knows his stuff. And the bottom line is, I think he said it best, it's owners versus owners. And at this point, either the owners are ready to start to get serious and share a piece of the pie that they're clearly not comfortable with. I don't think there's any question they have it. They're clearly not comfortable with and get this thing moving and have some kind of reasonable season or we're in, which I believe we are for a long haul. And at best, I see an extremely truncated season. I'm pessimistic that May 1st is even realistic. I think we could be looking at another COVID-type season when this is all said and done with a very shortened regular season. But I see the worst case. And, and guys, if that's the case, I got to tell you, I worry about this show. Like, I'll come to you every week. But, geez, not having a baseball season, sitting here all season, the interest that would be lost in the game, the amount of time we'd have to spend looking back and trying to find content, that'd be the ultimate challenge for a host like myself. And in some ways, I welcome it because it would show that 
you know, I have the stick to that maybe there are even a word stick to that maybe others don't. But I was so excited about talking about this new era of Mets baseball with all these new toys that Billy Epler brought in and what have you that, uh, you know, it might all be truncated. It might be truncated a lot longer than we thought. And I know I promised you guys that I wouldn't make this the CBA talks, but it's really been front and center this week. I mean, how can you ignore it? What happened on Monday when talks broke down, when it looked like there may be a pathway to a deal, and then right before we get on this afternoon here on this Sunday, doesn't look like anything's changed. And the players have their stance, and this is one of the few times where I, I like to be down the middle. I like to be balanced. But I have to tell you, the players have to stand their ground. They have to fight for what the, uh, the, the appropriate amount of the pie that they're entitled to. It's not like the money's not there. They're not asking for money that's not there. And the owners have to really decide, you know, are they ready to really put the sport in jeopardy to crush a union that I don't believe is crushable? At least not now. And I think that if they were crushable, I think they would start to cave now. And I think that they probably have had talks internally about what happens if we don't have a season. There's history for, for this. Look at the NHL in 2004. There's history. Now, those guys went over and played in the Soviet Union, and there was other places to play, and baseball's not the same. I guess you could go play in Japan if you wanted to. There's a limit to how many American players can go over there, but it's not the same where you could go to your home country and play in these other leagues. But look, you stay in shape. Maybe they barnstorm. Maybe they put together some kind of charity game. I mean, the NBA got away with a 50-game season. That's losing, you know, basically... Uh, you know, 25-30% of their schedule. Would baseball do the same thing? I, I think that that's the best-case scenario. I think best-case scenario you're looking at... Best-case would be May 1st, but I think there has to be movement between now and the next 10 days, and I don't, I don't see it happening. Not based on what you're hearing from Joe, not based on what I'm reading, not based on a contingent of owners who didn't even want the deal that was presented on Monday. So, not good news. I know that you're going to walk away from this podcast more depressed than maybe when you come in. And I always try to give you the most balanced, realistic take. But that is the most balanced, realistic take. The owners are intent on crushing the union, and the players are not going to be crushed. And if that means losing a season to make progress on the front of fair revenue-sharing strategy, let's call it that, they're going to do it. Who loses? The fans. Yeah, we lose. But sometimes you have to take a step forward to take a step back to go take a step back to go forward. And I think that's where the players are right now. And we just have to be kind of this collateral damage. And I the one warning I've had to the owners is you had a very charmed history and trajectory right after the last strike. I said it in the open. Great ninety-five series with the Yankees. The Yankee dynasty helped it. The Sosa McGuire situation, the Subway series, interleague play. Obviously, even though steroids was part of it, the the breaking of all sorts of records and the amount of offense that came back into the game, you may not have any of that stuff. And nobody is going to take seriously bigger bases and a pitch clock and robo-umps and banning the ship. You know, it's like just let things work organically. Compete and win and put the best players out there and all that stuff works itself out. It's just so agitating. I know other sports have done it. I know the NHL has made rules changes and the NBA and, 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 the, and, and the NFL – with how they, you know, basically you can't even breathe on a wide receiver now. It's pass interference. 
But I always thought baseball could work things out organically. So everything about this is bad. Everything I'm hearing is bad. They can't even agree on a common sense playoff proposal. Just have a wild card playing week. Could you please? But I will leave you with this. Be very careful about what you hear in the mainstream media because you're going to get a lot of pro-owner talk. You're going to get a lot of myopic thought process. You're going to get a lot of immature thought. Like when you hear a WFAN host overnight saying that the next 1,200 players would be the same as the first 1,200. It's not. Nobody's spending big bucks, $200 a ticket to go watch AAA baseball. They could do that up in Syracuse or somewhere else in the country. Not at City Field, not at Yankee Stadium, not at Dodger Stadium. So that's garbage. You want real talk? You want real perspective? You listen to places like this. You listen to the people that I tell you that I respect because I'm trying to find those people. And if there's somebody I'm missing, I want to hear from you because I trust that you're smart enough in this audience to know who's a phony and who's giving you the real scoop and who's just a stenographer or a mouthpiece for the owners or giving you lazy clickbait narratives because that's not what this show's ever been about. And I think you know that by now, especially if you're a longtime listener. All right. I want to thank Joe Casal for tuning in. He's the Grim Reaper of our show. But look, when you got to speak the truth, you got to speak the truth. I want to thank Joe. You could always check him out all the time. Joe Casal on Facebook. If he lets you follow him on Facebook, he's a great follow. You could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.